the prayer once more. God, thank you for this awesome time. Thank you, Lord, that we can come together and truly worship you. I pray that you would help us through this time together in your word. Help us become more like your son, Jesus Christ. That is our goal. In his name we pray. Amen. So I want to close out this series, Portraits, which has been a really enjoyable series, but I want to close it out talking about the most important person in the Bible. Anybody have any guess who that is? It's one of those things in Sunday school, you either yell, Jesus or God or the Bible, and you usually write like, you know, 60% of the time. It's, it's Jesus. Okay, and there's so much, if you think about it, there's so much that you can say about his life and so much that you can talk about what he said in the word of God. But this morning, I want to focus in on his words of encouragement through life's challenges. We all face challenges. And there's a passage in scripture I want to pull out this morning where Jesus talks about how to face life's challenges. So before I read the verse in John 16, I want to give you a little context. Jesus is talking to his disciples about his death on the cross, all right, and the pain that they're going to, the emotional pain that they're about to face in their lives. All right, so that's the context. His death on the cross and the emotional pain that they're about to face, the people who've been following him, Um, with that death, their emotional pain. So in John chapter 16 and verse 20, it says, Truly, I tell all of you emphatically, you'll cry and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You'll be deeply distressed, but your pain will turn, listen to these words, your pain will turn into joy. Into joy. The NIV version continues, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. No one will be able to take away your joy. My, my desire this morning is to really get to the heart of this powerful statement made by Jesus. Because if we can understand it, what he just said, turning your, turning your sorrow into joy, if we can understand that and we can apply that, it will transform our lives. I don't care if this is the first time you've ever walked into church. If you can grasp what we're talking about here and you can begin to grow spiritually, asking Christ to come into your life and grow spiritually, this one verse can transform your entire life. How do you turn sorrow? How do you turn pain into joy? So the desire that he uses is a a woman in labor. Okay, labor is extremely painful. Now, I haven't been in labor, but I have watched my wife in labor. I have two daughters. I have seven grandchildren. I have seen labor, okay? Labor is a painful experience, but in a way that is beyond, in some ways, complete understanding, it brings a joy beyond belief. It just brings this, this joy beyond belief, The child transforms pain into joy. You're going through all this pain of labor, and then this child that is born transforms, changes pain into joy. 
Verse 22 says, So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take it away, take away your joy. Jesus promises us that our momentary pain and sadness will be turned into a, a, a continual joy in our lives. And that's something that we can truly hold on to throughout our lives, no matter what we're going through, that, that, that God can truly bring beauty out of the ashes. That God can take something that is totally difficult and painful and transform it into something that can bring joy in your life. I talk about this a lot, how, how we have a temporal mindset. Right. And we have this temporal mindset as human beings. But what we need to have is an eternal mindset. And that's what he's talking about once again here. He's telling us, okay, as he told his disciples that our suffering is momentary compared to what is to come, the joy that is to come, that what we go through in this world, it's it's not insignificant. It's not, oh, why you, what are you whining about? Well, you just understand. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that our suffering is momentary compared, compared to the joy that is to come. Just like in childbirth, once you hold that child in your arms, the pain is forgotten and leads to, and leads to basically uh, uh, like this direct and, and unexplainable joy. Now, I think every woman here who's gone through labor can understand what Jesus is saying. It's a principle, okay? It's a principle. You go through pain, and then some, in some miraculous way, that pain has turned into an unexplainable joy. And then he backs up his promise, promises by explaining the, the true foundation of this everlasting joy. He, he kind of he backs this up and he says this, I will see you again. Okay, I will see you again. He, he, he was going to be crucified. He was going to be he was going to die. But he's saying to them, I will see you again. Here's what's amazing for us as believers. All right. We have Christ living in our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. He is with us all the time. He says, I will see you again, saying to the disciples, we have him living in our hearts. Jesus Christ is never, ever away from us. He's a part of who we are. So what Jesus is doing, he's declaring, he's declaring that our joy, this is so amazing too. This is, a, this, is, this is where we need to grow spiritually. He's declaring here that our joy, okay, is, is not dependent on um, anything anyone else can do. Our joy cannot be stolen from us. Our joy is independent of our enemies. Our joy is independent of our circumstances. Our joy is completely independent of any external forces that are out there around us that, try, could, that could try to take it. Nothing can steal the joy that comes in Jesus Christ. Nothing can steal that joy. And as a matter of fact, I'll say it again, not only can that joy not be stolen, but God can turn our sorrow into joy. Now, there are so many aspects of, of joy, okay, Christian joy in this passage, but I really want to keep focused on, on one this morning. It's the promise 
and this is important, I'm going to say it again, but I want you to hear it again. It's the promise that God can literally, not figuratively, this isn't figurative, okay? This is literally. God can literally turn our sorrow, transform our sorrow into joy. He literally turns our sorrow into joy. This is a key truth that we can't miss this morning. Okay, don't get it mixed up. All right, that, oh, he turns one. He can turn our sorrow or our pain, our difficulty into joy. When he says this, your sorrow shall be turned into joy, he's not merely talking about one emotion, basically one emotion being substituted for another. He's saying that one emotion becomes the other. Okay, it's not a substitution. I feel really joyful right now, or I feel really, I'm in pain right now, and then, but tomorrow I'll feel. No, he's not, it's not a substitution of one emotion for another. He's saying that one emotion becomes the other. He's turning our pain into joy. He turns our sorrow into joy. It's beyond what our normal minds would think. Well, I feel this way now. I'm going to feel this way later. No. He's saying it's not a substitute. It's that one emotion becomes the other. This can, this, this can only mean that that which causes our sorrow, listen, reverses its action. That which causes, is causing our sorrow, is causing our pain, then reverses its action and becomes the cause of our joy. That's why he uses the analogy of, uh, of giving birth. The pain turned into joy. You hold that baby. It's like miraculous. I'll tell you what, if, if, if it wasn't, and it, when it comes to childbirth, you'd all have one kid, okay? Maybe you'd have one kid. Come on, dedicate your kid, because that would be the end of it. But in some miraculous way, that, so, that pain, I will say pain, not sorrow, but it could be sorrowful while you're going through it. Um, that pain is turned into joy. Remember what we talked about a few weeks ago? This is the way God works. It's in Romans 8.28, it, it says this, that, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. God works for the good of those who love him in all things, not in the good things, not in the, 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 the wonderful, the good experiences, whatever, in all things, in the difficult things, in the difficult things, in the stressful things, in the hardships, God works, okay, for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. He works through and in those things to transform those things into something that is good for us. He takes beauty. He takes the beauty out of the ashes. God can continually do that in our lives in all circumstances. Remember the context of this verse. It's Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus dying and his, and his death on the cross and the pain of the disciples. Here's the thing. For part of three days... These disciples were feeling, they had this feeling of, of, of sorrow and panic and pain and despair. And then, and then all at once, all at once, the power of the resurrection shakes them to the very foundation of their emotions. When, when, they, when they realize what's happened, it shakes them to the very foundation of their emotions. It's, it's, it's this emotional transformation that happens in their lives. The event that caused them such grief and despair suddenly becomes, suddenly and all at once becomes this occasion for overwhelming joy and unceasing power. 
I want you to keep that in your mind. They're despair. He died. They're in total despair. They're fearful. They're worried. They're concerned. And then all of a sudden, in this one event, it's turned into this overwhelming joy and unceasing power. And God still does that, my friends, in our lives. He, he does these things in our lives. And sometimes, though, we don't recognize it. God is moving in, at times where we're, where we're not recognizing it. We're only seeing it from a temporal perspective. We're not seeing it from an eternal perspective. And I asked Jen to come, and I wanted her to share this story. I wanted her to share her story to help illustrate this. Hey, I'm back. Um, I'm excited to talk and tell this story. And I'm a little nervous because I'm usually just doing like a little two-minute, at most, like soundbite sermon between songs. That's a joke. I don't really call them soundbite sermons, you guys. Um, and I'm not sure if me talking is going to look like me leading worship. You know, I can get kind of crazy, and so I may start landing planes as I'm talking here. I don't know. This is like my new favorite shirt to lead worship in. I feel like Peter Pan or something. Or Peter Pan's sister, who's like more of a homebody, likes to watch Netflix and not travel around to Neverland. Anyway, trying to wake you guys up. I want to tell you guys, first service, I was like, ha ha, and they just stared at me, so... I want to tell you guys a story that started almost a year ago. Um, Last fall, I woke up one morning and I lost my voice, completely gone. And you're going to hear some music because I'm the worship leader and I talk with music behind me and it's my happy place. And music goes past all my thoughts and past my mind and goes straight to my heart. And I want to get straight to the heart this morning. So we're going to have some music playing while I'm talking. So my voice had been... um, going back and forth, even still, from audible, um, right now I'm talking to you guys, but scratchy, a lot of pain, even when I'm talking, when I'm singing, um, to completely silent, no voice at all. And when I would sing, I was left with a limited range, not a lot of control. Uh, It was harder for me to sing certain notes. And so after seven doctor's visits, three specialists, Two rounds of steroids, one month of an inhaler, new medicines, essential oils, diet changes, an endoscopy, a laryngoscopy. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Um, And a lot of prayer. I still had no real answers and no healing, no real strength back in my voice. So if you're having an idea of what could have caused it, I promise I have looked into it. I have researched it. I have tried it. Um, Yeah, so I understand that not having a voice may seem kind of insignificant compared to the other hurts in the world and maybe some of the hurts even in this room. But when it comes to my deepest heart-to-heart conversations with my Heavenly Father, I don't need to pretend that my hurt isn't significant. I don't need to pretend that it's not affecting me. And I don't need to pretend that I don't need His help because He is God. He already knows what I feel. He already knows what I need. And he's already ready to work everything out. And the reason that it was so difficult for me and the reason that it's been so difficult for me emotionally is because I love to sing with you guys. I love to sing, but I I don't love to just sing for no reason. I love to worship with you guys. I feel Like, this is one of my most joyful places, is right here in this room with you guys singing praise to God. I feel called to it. I feel passion for it. So to have that kind of taken away um, has been really difficult for me. So in one moment of sadness in the middle of this season, I begged God 
to snap his fingers and heal me. And at least, at the very least, help me understand. And it was right then I was reminded of his words where he says, I make all things new. And it was like this wind that was blowing all this discouragement away. And he was promising that he wasn't promising to heal my voice, but he was promising that he was the God who makes impossible possible. And he was the God who loved to restore the broken and the worn. And he was the God who could do a miracle. And while I may not be healed, I would be restored. That's what I felt this promise was. So in early spring of this year, I decided that um, I was going to rest my voice as much as possible. I believed that I was really just overworking the muscle. Years and years and years of singing, parenting four kids. And if you've met my parents, the apple does not fall far from the tree. They like to talk. I like to talk a lot. I love to talk. Um, So I was determined to rest my voice, that I was going to be able to fix this. And so there was a lot of like clapping and snapping and charades and like method acting for, I did that first service. I got made fun of first service for going like this for method acting because this is obviously not method acting. But um, I would go to my kids and like clap to get their attention and then act out like putting on pajamas and brushing your teeth and like go to bed and they would just kind of stare at me and be like watch more tv no so it's not the most effective way to parent but i was working with what i had at the point um so the weeks that my voice would come back a little bit because at this point you know for months at least once a week i was completely silent no voice at all so the weeks that my voice would start to come back i would sing a little bit um like even this morning i sang one song and not on all three um because it was just so painful. So even if I had a voice, it just really hurt to sing. So one night during all of this, um, of me trying to to fix it on my own and deciding I was going to stay quiet and that was what was going to fix it, um, I had the most intense dream of my adult life. And I was sitting on my bathroom floor and my husband was standing next to me. And I was trying to tell him that I had just found out that I had esophageal cancer and I remember being in pain and I remember feeling weak and I remember being terrified and overwhelmed and thinking of my four kids and just it, it was it was awful it was an awful dream and it was so intense and so real and I that part of the dream ended and I woke up to a voice telling me go to the doctor and I woke up and I was staring at the wall, and it was probably three or four in the morning, and I remember thinking, I don't really want to move because I don't want to confirm that I'm awake because if I'm not awake, then that's my life, and I don't want that to be my life. So I, I sat up and I prayed. I didn't go back to sleep. I could not go back to sleep, and I waited till about 7 a.m. when the doctor's office opened. I called. I made an appointment that day, and they sent me to two specialists, and they um, put me on an inhaler, and he said they did like a that camera that goes like you know up your nose and down your throat it was a great wonderful experience i recommend that for all of you um yeah no it was the worst so um they put the camera up my nose down my throat and said well your vocal cords are inflamed we don't see anything else everything else looks fine there's no trauma to your vocal cords no polyps or anything and um I didn't really think much about 
the part of my dream with the, with the diagnosis because in my mind I could rationalize I didn't have esophageal cancer. Um, the, no doctor previous to this had thought this was an option. I wasn't thinking, well, maybe it's this. You know, I, I don't know anyone who's had this type of cancer. As far as my memory serves me, I've never even said those two words consecutively before. So um, I, I didn't really put much weight on that. It felt more like God was trying to get my attention. Like he was trying to get my attention in a very serious way to tell me I needed to go back to the doctor. I needed to stop trying to fix it on my own. So when they gave me the inhaler and they told me, don't sing for two weeks, do this inhaler and you'll be right as rain. And so I did it, more clapping and snapping and method acting and charades. And 30 days later, I still couldn't sing. (laughs) And um, I kind of before that was like, yes, an answer. Thank you, God, for intervening. And then after, I was like, why am I still not able to sing? I did what you told me to do. I went to the doctor. They gave me this medicine. And it still didn't work. I don't understand. And I started... um, feeling a lot of doubt about my role as the worship leader here because um, I I just I remember looking at my dad who's also my boss and saying if you were interviewing me for my current job here and I said great but the only thing is I can't sing for probably three out of the four Sundays you would be like well let's don't call us we'll call you you know, that it just didn't, I started to feel doubt. I felt like I was um, letting the worship team down. I felt like I was letting you guys down. You probably didn't even think anything of it. But for me, I felt like I was letting the church down. And I felt a little bit like David did in Psalm 143, where it's, he says, I sat there in despair, my spirit draining away, my heart heavy like lead. And I remember the old days when over all you've done, pondered the ways that you've worked. I stretched out my hands to you as thirsty for you as a desert is thirsty for rain. Hurry with your answer, God. I'm nearly at the end of my rope. Hurry with your answer, God. And I could see the thoughts that were twisting out of lies of discouragement. So I would twist, speak truth over myself my family, my life group, the worship team, you guys, you would speak truth over me, you would pray over me, and I quickly began to realize that the victory of this season, the battle wasn't over my physical healing. The victory of this battle was over my faithfulness. Could I remain steadfast to my calling to this specific ministry? Would I believe that God made a mistake when he called me here to do this? And I never wavered on my steadfastness to God because I felt him like a firm foundation under every single step. But the question was, would I let discouragement defeat me every time I went to open my mouth and I was silent? And then, like a gift from my heavenly dad, my earthly dad preached a sermon on how we receive sometimes so much more from God's no's than we do his yeses when we're asking for something. Do you guys remember that? It was a couple months back. It was like a perfectly timed gift to me. Because we know that God works for our good if we love him, right? We just read that scripture together. So we don't have to question if we ask God something, we don't have to question that the answer is going to be good. But our issue is that us, as we as humans, we put what we want and good and we make it the same thing when they're not the same thing all the time. Sometimes what we want is not what is good or what is best for us. 
So in his infinite and father-like wisdom, God says no to me and to you the same way I say no to my kids when they say, hey, mom, can I go ride my bike in this busy parking lot? Right? The answer is no. And I don't throw out no lightly to my kids. I don't just say no to everything they ask me, right? There's thought, there's consideration, what's best for them, what's best for the people around them, how is this going to shape them, how is this going to shape their hearts? And I don't, you know, give like prayer and petition on my knees kind of consideration with every question. Like, mom, can I have another ice cream sandwich? I'm not like, hold on, let me go pray about it. You know, I, but if I don't answer my kids flippantly in my finite and sometimes flawed wisdom, what makes me think that God, in his infinite wisdom, would ever answer me flippantly? What makes me think that he's going to throw out no's like it doesn't matter? So I began to ask God to give me the attitude of Paul. And I remember being younger and not totally understanding the whole story of Paul's attitude about weakness. Because when you read this, um, it says, Then he told me, My grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. And now I take limitations in stride. And with good cheer, these limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, oppositions, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. I remember being young and not really understanding Paul's attitude about weakness. Because when you read that, it seems like he was just someone who had the ability to be glass half full all the time, right? Optimistic. And darn it, we need those people in our lives, don't we? You know, that was God's example of someone who sees the silver lining all the time. But if you go and read what it says right before that, that's why that all makes sense. It says this. I was given the gift of the handicap, the thorn in my side, to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he did, in fact, was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift, and I begged God to remove it. Three times he did that. So before he got to, the weaker I get, the stronger I become, and good cheer, (laughs) he was begging God to fix the problem. It says, Begging. And begging isn't, please heal me, God. Please fix this, God. And then moving on. Begging is on your knees, pleading three times. So I don't need to feel shame and I don't need to feel regret for asking God to remove this thorn in my side because it's what I can see. My faith wasn't coming into question because I was in pain and I begged God to heal me and snap his fingers or because I struggled with the reality that his answer was, no, I'm not going to heal you right now. And this is the point that I really want to make this morning is that the issue for us is sometimes we think that if we feel hopeless and if we feel angry and if we feel disappointed, that must mean that we don't trust God. So then what happens? We feel hopeless and we feel angry and then we feel shame because we're not a good enough Christian because we don't trust God and it just gets heavier and heavier and heavier. We think that if we mourn, Or if we grieve something that we don't believe that God is good. But knowing that God is good doesn't change the fact that you're feeling hopeless. It's not wrong to feel hopeless or feel disappointed. I want to read this account from Mark chapter 14. It says, They came to an area called Gethsemane. Jesus told his disciples, Sit here while I pray. 
He took Peter, James, and John, which I love because he knew what he was feeling and he didn't want to be by himself. And he plunged into a sinkhole of dreadful agony. He told them, I feel bad enough right now to die. Sit here and keep vigil with me. Going a little ahead, he fell to the ground and he prayed for a way out. Father, you can, can't you? Get me out of this. Take this cup from me. But please, not what I want. What do you want? Jesus, the Son of God, the human most connected to the heart of the Father than any other human that has ever walked the earth, fully God, fully man, fell on the ground in a sinkhole of dreadful agony and prayed for a way out. And I just think, what has Satan done to twist our theology enough to make us believe that feeling fear, feeling pain, agonizing over our circumstance, feeling disappointed, means that we don't believe that God is good? Jesus Christ, fully connected to the heart of the Father, felt grief to the point of death, fell on his face on the ground and said, get me out of this. Get me out of this. There has to be another way. And for me, I feel freedom in that. Because I'm not Jesus. And if we have the freedom within Christ to agonize over our circumstances, then what is the difference between us and Christ? It's that Jesus took his agony to the Father. And then Jesus submitted his agony to the Father. Not my will, God. What is your will? It's not wrong to mourn. It's not wrong to feel hurt. It's not wrong to be disappointed. I've, I've been there. But lingering in that season doesn't lead to growth. In fact, it can lead to the opposite. When my son, who's now seven, when he was three years old, he broke his femur. And it was the worst. And they put him in this stupid body cast that started at his chest under his armpits and went all the way down his legs. And he was basically stuck like this. I can't really do it. But like this for two months. And he couldn't bend at the waist. And he couldn't bend his legs. And I was also, I had a two-year-old also, and I was pregnant with my third. So someone give me a high five. <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? There we go. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Up top. It was, it was a rough season. Um, and he missed the second half of summer, which is awful for a three-year-old little boy because they're swimming and running and jumping and climbing trees and everything. So when we got to the hospital to cut off his magic pants, as we called them, um, they got him cut off. And then we, you know, all right, let's go. And he went to stand up and just fell down to the floor completely because his muscles had completely atrophied. He basically had to learn how to walk again. So three years worth of learning walking and running and, and standing and climbing and, and doing squats, all of those things that you do when you're strengthening your muscles and learning how to walk. Three years gone in two months of not using his muscles. And I began to realize how quickly we lose our strength and we refuse to use our muscles. And I believe the same is true with our spiritual muscles, especially the two called trust and obedience, which are the two that I struggle with the most. It will be sitting idly in that season of grief, sitting idly, questioning God for long seasons will require us to work harder once we decide to trust in the fact that God's faithfulness will never let us down. It will be more work for us to break the habit that we created those days, weeks, months, years, however long it's been. We spent only exercising our mouths saying, God, fix this, but fix it my way. If we want to be able to not only survive the hard seasons, but to thrive and to grow and to see them 
turn into joy. We need to grieve. We need to feel what we're feeling. You have to let yourself feel that with hope. Because we don't grieve like the world grieves without hope. Amen? Amen. Because what happens is we sit down in grief, and we sit down in anger, and we sit down in disappointment, and we get comfortable. And then we let the devil come and, and stack weights of discouragement on top of us when we're vulnerable. And we let him twist our feelings, which aren't bad, but we let him twist them into lies that we then believe about ourselves, we believe about other people. And all of that distracts us from what God is actually trying to do in our lives, and we miss out on it. So as I moved into this season of hope from this season of disappointment, I had an endoscopy done because why not? Also a really fun experience. I recommend that. And there were no visible issues. Again, they just went down further and they said, you know, we can't see anything else that could be causing this. We're sorry. (laughs) But, um, you know, they took some biopsies. Like, well, while we're here, we might as well. And I felt like I had really finally come to a, a place of peace with the fact that I may never have my voice back. Right now I'm talking to you. I have my voice. I can sing. So I'm not in this place of of disappointment. But last Saturday, I woke up and I was completely silent. Gone. Completely. So even those times, like last Saturday when I said, please God, just... I felt him sit with me while I practiced faithfulness. And that's what gives you the peace. I was understanding more and more also that my job as the worship leader, the thing that I love to do, isn't just a time for all of us to come in and to tell God how much we love him and just to praise him. It was about connecting with God. It was about connecting with the heart of the Father. It was about getting back to what God intended in the garden of us being together. There was something inside of me that was stirring and saying, Oh, I remember now. I remember now. This is why you created me. It isn't about my voice. It's about you and me. It's about our relationship. And uh, while I was feeling the peace, I could st- my mind, ugh, my mind could still see all of the missing pieces. Still, like, well, if I keep losing my voice, how am I going to be able to do my job? And I, I couldn't see it all coming together. But it was like I finally was like, I don't care. I don't care if I can't see it all coming together. It doesn't matter. It was like doing a trust fall with someone. You have no idea where they're standing. My six and seven-year-old were doing trust falls a few months ago, and they basically were just like, all right, you go, and then they would barely catch the person, and then they both fall down and laugh hysterically. That's, you know, how six and seven-year-olds play. So my three-year-old, Eleanor, she hears them laughing and comes running in, having no idea what they're doing because that's Eleanor. If she hears laughter, she's like, I have to be part of it. And so she came in and said, I want to play, I want to play. And Ollie said, okay, you just stand there and cross your arms, close your eyes, and fall straight on down, and I'll catch you. And she said, okay. So she stood there, and she crosses her arms, and she closes her eyes. And then Ollie gets behind her, and then she starts to fall forward. <laughs> yeah. So first we all panicked, and I was like, no, because it's like wood floor. Um and so Ollie, like, you know, dove on the ground in front of her. And then we all laughed hysterically because it was amazing. And then Ollie was like, I guess I forgot to tell her I was behind her. Like, uh, it makes me laugh every time I think about it. But <laughs> Eleanor trusted her big brother so much that the details, like which way to fall, did not matter to her. She heard, I'll catch you. And that's all that mattered. 
and I was finally there with God. And so Wednesday morning of that week, I got a message from the doctor's office who did the endoscopy, and they were giving me results of the biopsies, which I didn't even think about because they said everything looked fine. And um, they told me I had something called chronic esophagogastritis, which makes me sound smart and is really just a fancy word for inflammation that damages the tube running from the throat to the stomach. So I was surprised that I had this because if you look at the symptoms of this specific thing, the only symptom I had was my, my vocal cords, my throat. Um, so that kind of surprised me. And so they gave me a bunch of information to read over. And as I began understanding what this was and how I needed to take care of it, I read something that literally almost made me fall down on the floor. And I'm going to read it to you guys. At the very end of all this information, complications. If left untreated, esophagogastritis can lead to changes in the structure in the cells lining the esophagus increasing your risk of esophageal cancer. And I read that, and I closed my eyes, and I remembered my dream, and I pictured myself putting my hands on God's face and looking right in his eyes and just saying, thank you. My eyes filled with tears. I had only told that dream to two people, my sister and my husband, So it wasn't something that I felt like, oh, I got to call everyone because that dream actually, you know, it meant something. Because something, it made me feel so small and so massively valuable to him. It made me feel so incredibly insignificant in my own plans and so incredibly significant to him. And I think, how could I have been so prideful, so caught up in my own ways to think that God wasn't working for my good this entire time. I felt so overwhelmed that all those times that I doubted myself and when I kept praying for God to act according to my plans, he still loved me enough to do the hard thing and say no, because doing the hard thing was what was best for me. I love to sing. I love to talk. I value my voice. (laughs) as I hope most of you guys do. (sighs) Sorry. Without losing my voice, I never would have caught this. It is the only symptom that I have. And it was like God stepped in and said in that moment, I wasn't just trying to get your attention a few months ago. I was was trying to show you that I'm the only one who sees your life from beginning to end. Mm. And I have... I have a a, a plan. I have an adventure for you. And I don't want your life to be if left untreated. So this is how I'm going to get your attention. I felt so protected. I felt so loved. And when I look back at this season, I see almost a year, I see every moment, every lesson, every answered prayer, every unanswered prayer, every fear, every confidence come together like a tapestry. I know we like to use that example, but it's so, it's so like, it's such a perfect example to use because from my perspective, all I could see was the back and it just felt like chaos and nonsense and messy string and I couldn't see my way out of it when in fact there was purpose to every stitch and there was love to every stitch. I remember right uh, one week 
I could sing and there was no pain. And I, I was crazy. I don't know if you guys remember this. I started babbling like a crazy person. I was so excited. And I took my husband out in the foyer after service and I said, it was like this whole season was just a giant love letter from God. That's how I felt. It was like God wanted to do a miracle for me. But more than that, he wanted me to see the miracle. (laughs) Sometimes we don't get to see the miracle. Sometimes we have to plant the seeds, but we never get to sit in the shade of the trees. But he wanted me to see the miracle. And I felt so incredibly humbled by that. It isn't just that God's ways are not our ways. It's that God's ways are not our ways for a reason. His ways are higher. His ways are greater. And when you start to see your life, all of it is part of something that God has already begun to put in motion. Not just that you know my life is part of God's big story, but when you're aware of it in every moment, in every interaction, every day, when you're aware that you are part of something that God has set in motion long before we even got here, You will start to wake up each morning saying, God, if I have breath in my lungs, I will choose to align my heart with yours in obedience. And God, if I have breath in my lungs, I will make trusting in you my sacrifice of praise. Thanks. That was awesome. Thanks. That was awesome. That was awesome. That was fine. You're fine. I want to I want to just close this out here in the next few minutes and just tie this all together a little bit. Um, the disciples are sitting in anguish and in pain because Jesus had died. But you think Jesus told them what was going to happen? Jesus told them about the joy that was to come, but they couldn't see it. And just like they couldn't see it, Jen couldn't see it. We can't see it. And so we languish sometimes. We are, in, we are in anguish over a period of time because we can't see what God is doing. And you think about the disciples and what they went through. And you think about, you think about the, the power of Jesus Christ and what that means in our lives and how we express that to other people. And their lives are a perfect example of, to us, but also to others. Think about, think, just think about this. What was it? What was it? that had such power to turn broken, if you will, battered men and women into, into heroes of the faith who literally transform, who literally change the course of history. Jesus turned their pain into power in a way that had never been seen before or honestly after. He changed their pain into power the pain and the ruin of the cross becomes the source of their, of their deepest happiness and the foundation of encouragement for generations. We're sitting here this morning and we're talking about this. We're thinking about this. This transformation that they went through from, from pain to power, from sorrow to joy. Think about it. These people were lost They were completely lost. They were broken. They were emotionally, completely emotionally spent. And then their hearts, okay, they're sitting and they've lost. He's dead. It's over. And then their hearts are set on fire with a desire and a ferocity to share the gospel. How could that have happened? 
If you question if Jesus existed or if the Bible is true, how can you how can you in your mind explain how that happened? What lifted these men and women out of the pit? What revolutionized their lives? What, what, what was it that changed these depressed disciples into martyrs and heroes? What was it? Other than what we've been talking about this morning, the power of Jesus Christ. What was it? What was it? It was one fact. It was the power of the resurrection of Jesus. It was the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Think about this. When we add, when we add that power and that truth to our darkness, it changes in a moment. It changes in a moment into beautiful light. When we add that truth and that power to our lives, it's simple. It's really simple. Okay, here's a, here's a, here's a picture for you. When light enters a room, darkness must flee. When light enters any room, darkness must flee. It has no option. Jesus Christ has the power to change darkness into light. How else do you explain their transformation? God said to them, Jesus said to them, this is going to happen. Just like he tells us, I know you're going through your pain. I know you're going through sorrow. I know you're going through difficulty, but I am here and I can turn that sorrow and that pain into joy. I can do that for you. But we miss it. We just see the darkness. We just see the pain. We just see the sorrow. And we, like Jen said, we just stay there. We can't stay there. See, understanding the power of the resurrection changes sorrow into joy. Let's get more personal, and I'll close off here. Personally, can you change your sorrow and your pain into joy? Think about that. Do you believe that Jesus has the power to change your sorrow and your pain into joy? Do your storm clouds, if you will, have a silver lining just waiting for the, for the, for the, for the, the power of the sun, S-O-N, to shine on it? The answer, my friends, is emphatically yes. Jesus is telling us that he can transform our deepest sorrows into our purest joys. We need to own that truth. We need to live that truth out in our lives. We need to see beyond the temporal to the eternal, to what God is capable and is doing in our lives, even during the most difficult times. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time we can spend together. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to be here together and just to worship you and to become more like your son, Jesus Christ, this morning. God, help us. We don't want to feel guilty or shame or anything like that around the fact that we sometimes don't experience what we talked about this morning. But God, we ask instead that you would help us to see beyond, to see with, through your lenses, to see with your eyes. And Lord God, give us the wisdom and discernment and the spiritual maturity to see that you are working even during our most difficult circumstances. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.